right, thank you so much. You can be seated. Again, I want to thank you for coming and being a part of our service here on this Wednesday night. How many of you brought your Bible with you? Will you hold up uh, the Word of God, wave the answer back to heaven? And uh, but let, let's take our Bible and op open them to the book of Malachi tonight, chapter 2. Malachi, chapter 2. And I promise you, maybe, I don't know, maybe one more week in this chapter after this. But uh, I appreciate your patience through this. And I want to kind of look at verse beginning in verse number 11 and going down through verse 16 tonight. Malachi chapter number 2, page number 981, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And then I'm going to ask you to leave your Bibles open and just follow me along here tonight. I really wanted to entitle this sermon, a Sunday morning, a Sunday morning message on Wednesday night because this is really probably something that should be addressed on Sunday morning, but it just so happens that we're doing this on Wednesday nights. And so if you'll stay with me, I want to kind of work our way through these verses here tonight. Don't forget Sunday. I don't know how many, how many of y'all are planning on being out of town Sunday. Would you raise your hand? You do know the hurricane. You do know. I mean, there, I mean there's seven. There's, there's 19 in the Atlantic Ocean right now. So... I don't know. I'm kidding. Well, anyway, for those of us that's going to be left in town Sunday, uh, please pray for the services and bunch of y'all, rest y'all, and go off and get sunburned if you want to. But uh, we're looking forward to having a good day and then, of course, after church on Sunday night as well. Let me tell you this story, and then I'm going to read the verses and to share a thought with you tonight. I heard about, uh, about the Lone Ranger and Tonto. And they were way away from home chasing some criminals. And they decided to set up camp. So they pitched their tent, made their little fire, and they had supper. After supper, they talked for just a little bit, and then they decided to turn in for the night. Well, about four or five hours after they had gone to sleep, Tonto woke the uh, Long Ranger up, and he said, Kimosabi. And the Long Ranger said, Yes, Tonto. He said, uh, he said, look up, what see? And he said, well, he said, I see uh, thousands of stars and galaxies up there. He said, uh, yeah. He said, that's what I see. He said, uh, Tonto said, Kimosabi. He said, yes. He said, uh, uh, what say to you? And he said, well, he said, uh, with all those stars up there, theologically, he said, it tells me that there's got to be a great big God up there somewhere that created all this. And, he said, meteorologically, he said, I don't see a cloud in the sky, which tells me that probably things are going to be a, uh, it's going to be a beautiful day tomorrow. And he said, astronomically, from the position of the moon, he said, it probably tells me that it's about uh, 10 minutes after 3. He said, why, Tonto? What say you? Tonto said, say me. Somebody stole tent. <laughs> Sometimes... You miss the obvious while looking for the, the deeper meaning of things. And so tonight, I'm sure there is a great deeper meaning to this text, but I'm just going to deal with the obvious, all right? And so if you'll bear with me, look at verse 11. Here's what Malachi says, or really God says through Malachi, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord 
will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have you done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. Now I know just reading that you're probably saying, man, man, I don't know. What does that mean? Well, what I want to try to do tonight is just offer up an explanation of the obvious that is given to us here in this text tonight. And I want to try to explainify all this to us. And uh, I hope the Lord will use it to help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these verses that I've read tonight and the message that is contained in the Word of God. And I just want to use, ask you to use this to help our, our young people, to help our married people, help others that are struggling in this area. God, use this to speak to our hearts and may we just lay a foundation, a truth tonight here in this service that may help us going forward, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us recently in our Wednesday evening services, then you will recall that we are currently on a journey through the Old Testament book of Malachi, the last book of our Old Testament, the last word before the coming of the Lord Jesus. It is a book that was written almost 2,500 years ago. And yet, as we have seen, as we have moved through these Wednesday night services, that this book is right up to date, very relevant to this day and age in which you and I live. The one thing that keeps gripping my heart as I go through this book is that God would say something to the people, and the people would respond in an argumentative manner. God would say something, and their attitude was, Oh, yeah? Really? I mean, that was the overall attitude toward God in the days of Malachi. These people questioned everything that God said to them rather than acting in obedience and faith. Boy, it sounds a whole lot like our day, doesn't it? Preachers can stand up and preach anymore, and an unbelieving, skeptical world says, Oh, yeah? Really? And that's the overall attitude of, of the people as we live out these last days. These people in Malachi's day had just reached the conclusion that it no longer paid to live for the Lord. Look over in chapter 2, look at verse 17. Here's what they were thinking. Yet ye have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say, Wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, Everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them, or where is the God of judgment? In other words, they were saying that living for God, doing right, behaving, Honoring the Lord, trying to live right, just didn't pay. 
it looked like those who were doing evil were the people that were, that were being blessed by the Lord. Uh, you know, what is it, the old saying, you know, that it looks like God's people are always on the short end of anything good happening. And that was the overall attitude of these people in that day. Well, it was against that kind of backdrop that God called this prophet by the name of Malachi to prophesy. I told you recently that God, deity, had a message for laity, and, laity and, and clergy and clergy had a message for the laity. And Malachi described his message back in chapter 1, verse 1, as a burden. It was a heavy message on his heart. Most of the time when we think about a burden, we think of something that weights us down, something that is heavy upon us. And Malachi said, the message that God has given me to declare unto you is a heavy message. It is a burden on my heart, but it was also a heavenly message because chapter 1, verse 1 says, it is the word of the Lord. But every time he said something, the people responded by arguing against the message. Let me just stop and remind us all again that when we argue against the message, we're not arguing against the preacher. If the preacher is preaching the Word of God, in reality, we are arguing with God. Amen. Listen, I want to tell you something. You never win an argument with God. When God said something, all we need to do is act in obedience and in faith to what God has, uh, has told us to do. Now tonight we come to uh, these verses that I've read here in chapter 2. And let me tell you, in chapter 2 we see the people of God struggling in three areas. First of all, in verse 1 down through verse 9, remember I told you they had those ministerial problems. I mean, there were problems with the spiritual leaders of Malachi's day. I say again, one of the reasons that the churches are in the shape that they're in in our days is because the leadership of the churches are in the shape that they're in today. Uh, you can lay a lot of all that's going on in our country at the feet of the pulpit because people, spiritual leaders, are no longer acting and, uh, and doing as God commanded them to do. They had ministerial problems. Number two, they had moral they had moral problems. Look again at verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Hath not God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? So they not only had ministerial problems, they had moral problems. They were treating each other horribly. They were acting treacherously against one another. And then tonight, we come to this problem. Not only did they have ministerial problems, not only did they have moral problems, but they had marital problems as well. And I want tonight, if I can, kind of unravel these verses tonight by pointing out three simple things that God said about these people. They had a flippant attitude toward the most sacred of all earthly relationships, that of marriage. They had a calloused attitude toward marriage. So let's get this done. Look at your, your, get your study sheet out, and let me show you three things from this text that God has to say on the subject of marriage. All right? First of all, I want us to, number one, look at the problem of Judah. The problem of Judah. Now look at verse 11. So this text begins by God bringing an accusation against the people of Judah. Now the people of Judah primarily were the people who left the Babylonian captivity and made the journey back across 
the hot burning desert to the land of Palestine. Remember I've told you, you can lay the book of Malachi down beside the book of Nehemiah because they fit in the same time period. And so God begins by bringing accusation against the people of Judah. Look at verse 11. Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Judah. So God begins now with his accusation against the people of Judah. And he, and he accuses them, number one, of dealing treacherously and committing an abomination. Now let's clear up that statement first. If you and I act treacherously, and if we have committed an abomination, just what does that mean? Well, just so we all on the same page, let's think about the word treacherously. When God said they have dealt treacherously, what does that mean? Well, treacherous, to deal treacherously means to deal deceptively. It means to deal unfaithfully. So we could actually read it like this. Judah hath dealt deceptively. Judah hath dealt unfaithfully. And then there's the word abomination, and the word abomination simply means evil or wrong or shame. So let's read it like this. Judah hath dealt deceitfully, and a wrong, a evil, a shame is committed in Israel and in, and in Judah and in Jerusalem. Now, putting all that together, we come to understand that God is accusing these people of, uh, of, of something that's very evil and something that is very wrong. Now, what have they done? I mean, what, what have they done that's got God in such an angry disposition? Well, there's two things they have done. First of all, write this one down. Number one, they had married, they had married heathen wives. Now look at the end of verse 11. The Bible said this, For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he had loved, and hath married, notice he hath married, the daughter of a strange God. In other words, the men of Judah had gone out and they had married daughters, women, who worshipped strange gods. Now, I think if you remember, I preached through Judges not too awful long ago, and I think one of the things, if you remember this, that God was, uh, had strictly forbidden His people to do was to intermingle or intermarry with the heathen people that were around them. God had strictly told His people before they ever crossed the Jordan River and entered the Promised Land regarding the Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Termites, Jebusites, that whole crowd that was over there, God said, don't you get over there and don't you start intermingling and intermarrying with those, those people who serve strange gods. Now let me remind you of what God said in Deuteronomy chapter number 7. Here's what God said. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Speaking of the Canaanite people. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, a Canaanite man. Nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Why, God? Why don't you want us intermingling or intermarrying with this crowd? For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. You see, the Lord knew that if His people started intermingling and intermarrying with these people from other nations, the end result would be they would turn away from the true and the living God and start worshiping gods that were no gods. And the problem, however, 
regarding this was that this was a problem throughout the Old Testament. I mean, it just seems like over and over and over again we see God's people intermingling and intermarrying with the heathen nations that were around them. And sure enough, sure enough, just like God said it would, it turned the hearts of the people of God away and they began to serve other gods. Now, we don't have to look far till we have a prime example of what I'm trying to illustrate right here in this service tonight. How many of you remember a king by the name of Solomon? Solomon was a wise, a wise man. But Solomon messed his life up. Why did Solomon mess up? Well, let's read about it. Look at these verses right here. But Solomon loved, say it with me, many strange... Now, by the way, that doesn't mean strange women. It just meant men, women outside of the, the family of God, the family of Israel. He loved many strange women together with the daughter of, the, of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, there's that ites again, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. So Solomon's got a problem. Solomon's problem is, number one, that he loved many strange women. And number two, his problem was he loved many strange women. He, he, he was loving all the wrong people. The Bible goes on to say this, of the nations concerning which the Lord had said unto the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave, he was glued to these in love. Solomon probably thought what many of us think, man, I can handle this. God, I got this. Don't worry about it. Lord, I'm too strong for them to turn my heart away from following you. And yet one verse later, here's what we read. The Bible said it came to pass when Solomon was old. What happened? That his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect, uh, perfect with the Lord his God. It was the heart of David his father. Solomon couldn't handle it. I don't care how wise you may think you are. I don't care how strong you are spiritually. I don't care how wise you are mentally. I don't care how strong you are spiritually. I'm here to tell you, we can't handle that kind of stuff. You let yourself drift off into those areas. I promise you, it won't be long until you're following in the footsteps of the people that you associate with. My mom used to say it like this, lay down with the dogs... Get up with the cooties, the fleas. That's right. You are right now, I am right now, just like the people to whom I associate with. And that's true of everybody in this room. Solomon couldn't handle it. Probably thought he could. I'm too wise. Man, I won't let these ladies pull the wool over my eyes. And yet the Bible said that they turned away his heart. His heart was not perfect as the heart of David, his father, was. Remember I told you, lay this book alongside the book of Nehemiah. They had this same problem in Nehemiah's day, intermarrying, marrying the wrong kind of a people. Let me read it to you. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 23. In those days, Nehemiah said, In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And he goes on to say, and their children. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. Come up close. Hear me and hear me well. You cannot blend two cultures. There, are, there, are, there is no way that you can blend 
two cultures and those cultures not collide with each other. The Bible said that their children spake half uh, in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language but according to the language of these people. You know what Nehemiah said? They started marrying up with the wrong crowd. They were intermingling. They were intermarrying with various people. And those people, they produced a ch children. And those children that was produced couldn't even talk the right kind of a language. You know why? They had intermarried uh, together. That was a problem in Bible days. And can I stop and say, that's still a problem in our day. God's people intermingling and intermarrying with the ungodly. Can I tell you this? God even addressed this situation over in the New Testament. Let me read it to you. The Bible said this, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Read it with me. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So God said, do not enter into the same yoke as unbelievers. God was such a strict separationist in the Old Testament that God didn't even want an oxen uh, uh, plowing with a donkey. I mean, God was so strict in the Old Testament about separation that God didn't even want wool mixed with cotton in the Old Testament. God was so strict in the Old Testament that God didn't even want them to mingle their seed together. I mean, God wanted His people to be a different people, a separated people. May I even use this word in, in the right kind of a sense, a segregated people, a people that is separated from the world, separated unto God. And the Bible goes on to say, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And then he asked this question, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteous? Hey, how can a child of God, a lady who is a child of God, who is married to a man that is a blasphemer and, uh, I mean, a, a, maybe a bad to drink, how can they have fellowship together? There are two worlds in collision there. What fellowship hath righteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And let me tell you something about light and darkness. They can't exist together. Where there's one, there cannot be the other. And where there's the other, there cannot be the other. You know, I remember when I was growing up, there was something that come along and they called it, this was true, they called it missionary dating when I was growing up. That's right. That's where they encouraged young believers to go out and date young unbelievers. And the purpose was, missionary dating behind the whole concept, was for the believer to make the unbeliever to become a believer by dating and, and, uh, fellowshipping, uh, and fellowshipping with them. The whole purpose behind it was to get them saved. Can I tell you something? That's not a concept taught in the Bible whatsoever. We have got to be careful as God's people. Look, come on. We're no better than anybody else. The only difference in me and the person that's sleeping in a cardboard box under a bridge tonight is the grace of God and the Lord Jesus. That's the only difference. The same thing that they're doing, that potential rest on the inside. I'm not, I'm not, up, here, I'm not up here being self-righteous. I'm not up here saying we're better than everybody else because we're not. But I am telling you this, if Jesus lives in our heart, we need to come out from among the world and be a separate, saith the Lord. Uh, this, thing, this thing of intermingling and intermarrying, Boy, if we just listen to what God has to say about that. 
Man, it would save us a lot of heartache down the road if we would just listen to the Word of God. I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give it to you. There are cases. I know there are. Where believers have married unbelievers and the believers brought the unbeliever into the family of God. There are cases where that has happened. But for every one of them that you can show me, I can probably show you ten more times that instead of the believer bringing the unbeliever into the family, the unbeliever dragged the believer out into the world. Can I tell you something? We can't handle that. We cannot handle that. Jacob, come up here for just a minute. No, stay down there. Just come up here and stand for just a minute. All right? How easy is this? Let's just say that I'm going to take Jacob here and I'm going to pull him up to my level. Okay? All right. Now, don't hurt me. Okay? All right. So I'm going to try to lift him up and drag him up here to my level. Okay? Turn around, Jacob. <laughs> All right, jump back down there. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Anybody got a nitroglycerin pill? <laughs> I've got to quit smoking. That about killed me to drag him up. But I tell you what, it's hard for me to drag him up here. But it's pretty easy. Don't hurt me. For him. No, please don't. It's a whole lot easier for him to pull me down than for me to pull him up. Oh, I know, thank you. I know the devil says, oh, man, you can bring them up to your level. You can reach down, but I'm telling you something, it's a lot, a lot easier to be pulled down to their, their level than it is for us to pull them up to our level. That's why I want to say to every young person in this room tonight, listen, you've you, you got to be careful. If your parents allow you to date, you've got to be careful who you go out with. You've got to be careful who you date. Can I just say to every unmarried person in this room tonight, you've got, your first question is not, man, he is good looking. How good looking is he? There's more to it than just looks. Sir, your first question is not, is not, boy, she is beautiful. How beautiful is she? Your, our, our first question is not, what kind of car does he have? How much money does he make? Uh, how, how much, what, what's her background? What's her, what's, it's more than that. Let me tell you something about marriage. Marriage is more than sitting on the couch kiss, kissing. That's exactly right. And we have got to be careful as God's people. We have got to be very careful that we don't get involved in relationships, in relationships with unbelievers. You can't handle it. Hear me. Listen to me. You can't handle it. We had a young lady that attended our Christian school here one time. I never will forget. She had somehow got into a relationship with a young man. And I'd give it to her. The young man was coming to church. But I mean, that guy, I love him. I love him today. I'd help him change a flat tire in a hurricane. That guy's bad news, man. I mean, he was bad, bad, bad news. And everybody, they brought her in, asked me to talk to her. Others tried to talk to her here in the church. Her grandma and grandpa tried to talk to her. I vividly remember her grandpa telling her, if you'll, if you'll leave him alone, I, go out here, I'll buy you any car off any parking lot, car parking lot that you can find. I'll buy you and just leave that boy alone. She'd have none of it. None of it would she have. And guess what she did? She wound up eventually marrying that boy. And it wasn't long till he had her down here in this night's end motel 
right down the street here, across from that big old hell hole down there. By the way, how many of y'all seen the hell holes gone? You know what I said when I rode by there? Y'all forgive me, I'm a little ADD right here, but can I tell you what I thought when I, ding dong, the witch is dead, the wicked witch, the wicked witch, ding dong, the wicked. Did y'all think that too when you rode by there? He had her down here at this night's end. They were held up. Police had surrounded that place. He was inside. He'd beat the fire out of her, threatening to kill her, the little baby, and himself. And finally, the negotiators talked him out of there, and it messed that girl's life up if she'd only listened to people who tried to plead with her and beg her, don't get in a relationship with that young man. You can't handle it, and neither can I. You've got to be careful the people that you associate with. Your first question is not how good-looking are they. Your first question is, are they saved? And that's not even, the, that's not even the, the final question. The second question is the most important question. Are they saved and are, there, are, are they spiritual? Because I'm telling you, it's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to be saved and spiritual. There's a lot of saved people who don't give a hoot about the house of God. Amen. We've got to be careful. Because the Bible said the problem with these people is they had married heathen wives. Daughters of a strange God. How many of y'all are with me? They married heathen wives. But then if you look down at verse number 14, they had divorced Hebrew wives. Look down at verse 14. Yet you say, wherefore? I'll get to that in a minute. Because the Lord had been witness between thee and the wife against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. What did I say about that? Treacherously, deceitfully, unfaithfully. What was the problem here? Well, the problem is not that they just married these heathen wives. The problem was that they had divorced their Hebrew wives. They had put away the wife that they had joined with in their youth. Verse 14 talks about the wife of thy youth, and it talks about the wife of thy covenant. They had put away the wife that God intended for them to have, and they had married a heathen wife. And God said, look at verse 14. God said, I was a witness there when you, when you, when you married her, the wife of thy youth. What does that mean? Can I tell you what that means? That means God is the unseen great, the great unseen guest at every wedding. God is there as a witness. Anytime I marry somebody, I always say this. Do you take him or her, as the case may be, in the presence of God, angels, and these witnesses today? Do you promise before God? You know why? God said, I'm a witness to what you said. I'm a witness to the vows you exchanged. I heard you say, I'm leaving all others, and I'm going to cleave to you for the rest of my life. God said, I heard that. Yeah. God said, hey, I heard you promise that you was going to love her and honor her and cherish her all the days of your life. God said, I heard that. And then God said, what happened? Oh, evidently you don't keep promises. Because God said, I was a witness to all of that. Can I tell you something? Just the fact that God is there makes the marital relationship a serious relationship. I was a witness, God said, when you got married. I heard your promises that you made. I heard what you said. But now God said, man, you're just putting them away. You're just divorcing your Hebrew wives because you like them heathen wives. Woo! Well, God said, I'll tell you something. Now, I know your Hebrew wife, when you come home, she may have them Coca-Cola cans in her hair and that mud pack on her face. 
And, and, and God said, I understand all that. And you think them old heathen women, they look so good. But God said, I want to tell you something. It is totally against my will for your life to put away Amen. your Hebrew wives. Amen. The wife of thy youth. So these people, in total disobedience to the uh, laws of God, reflected their great disregard that they had for God in their hearts. I mean... You know what they were saying, man? we got a heart problem. The problem of Judah. Now, number two, write this down. The problem of Judah. Number two, write this down. The provoking of Jehovah. Now, you talk about God being angry over something. God was, God was angry over this. That they had started marrying heathen wives all the while divorcing their Hebrew wives. God was highly upset about it. They had broken the, law, broken the law of God blatantly. And, and I'm talking about in your face, God, kind of a breaking of the law of God. But here's the thing. Though they were doing this, they were putting away, they were divorcing their, their Hebrew wives. They were marrying their heathen wives. Verse number 13, 12 and 13 seems to indicate that they were still just coming to the house of God just like always, bringing their sacrifices and their offerings, and they would lay on the altar and just cry and cry and cry because they wanted everything to be all right with God. Boy, does that not sound like this day and age in which we live in? People want to go out Monday through Saturday. Man, they want to live like they want to live, and they want to do what they want to do, total disregard God's Word, totally disregard God's law, and go out and do everything they want to do, and then they want to come to church and just act like God's just okay with everything. I mean, is this not up to date with where we're at today? In fact, verse number 12 said the Lord, uh, down on down here, it said that they, they were offering an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And God said, And this you have done, covering the altar of the Lord with tears and weeping and crying out insomuch. God said, I'm not, even, I'm not even listening to all this. I don't even regard what you're saying. And then in verse number 14, they had the audacity to say, Well, God, what's wrong? We don't get it, God. Why are you treating us like this? Time out, hold it, 30 seconds, come up close. Who's done wrong here? Not God. God hadn't done wrong. These people had done wrong, and yet they just wanted to come to church and act like everything was A-OK -okay with God. That God was just up there in heaven, and man, he was just some kind of big old doting grandpa in heaven, and he don't get mad about nothing, upset about nothing, just go on and do what you want to do, hurt your wives, destroy your families if you want to, but just everything's okay. Y'all come on in church. God bless you now. It don't work like that, friend. I know in our culture today, we expect things like that to happen. I vividly remember, don't be mad at me here, but I vividly remember the night of 9-11. I remember that. They'd crashed those planes into those buildings. We're coming up on that again. And, and uh, they'd run that plane into the Pentagon building. They'd crash that one up in the fields of Pennsylvania. 3,000-plus people dead. I mean, our nation didn't know what in the world had happened, and we were tore all to pieces. And I vividly remember the congressman of the United States of America standing on the steps of the congressional building in Washington, D.C., and they had the audacity to sing, God bless America. I'm going to tell you, instead of singing God bless America, they ought to have been crawling around up under the bushes of that congressional house up there, repenting and getting right with God because we can't pass laws that go against the Word of God. We can't do what we want to do and then just expect God just to show up again and just bless us whatever we need Him to. That's the attitude of these people right here. God, we're coming to the house. 
God, we're bringing our offering. God, we're crying. And, and you're not hearing. You're not regarding. And God, why? God, what's wrong? As if they didn't know. And God was angry at these people. If you don't believe it, look back up in verse number 12. When the Bible said, i just cut you off. Look at verse 12. Uh, the Lord will cut off the man that doeth this. Doeth what? Marry a heathen wife and divorce a Hebrew wife. God said, I'm just going to cut that crowd off. I, I don't care if they're a scholar. I don't care if they're a master. doesn't matter to me. You can't do that and get by. Now, I read that. I wanted to find out. What's that mean, the Lord will cut him off? Let me tell you. Everybody I read behind had something different to say about it. So I don't know what the Lord means, but I do know one thing. I don't like the sound of it. I don't know exactly what is implied when God said, I'm just going to cut you off. I don't mean if God was just going to cut the spigot off a blessing. Cut the spigot off. I don't know if God was going to cut them off. But I know one thing. I don't like it. It ain't something that I want the Lord to do. God said, I, I, I'm going to cut you off. He was highly displeased with the attitude and the action of these people. So number two, we have the, people, the problem of Judah, the provoking of Jehovah. God was angry. Then number three, and I'm done. I want you to look at verse 16. We have the passing of judgment. The passing of judgment. If you come to verse 16, I want you to look at what God says. God said, if you want to know what I think about it. Now look back up into verse 15. He asked a question, and did not he make one? Now that takes us back to the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis where the Bible said that for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall become one. So God said, hey, I made them one. When they got married, I made them one. All right? Go read on. Look at verse 6. For the Lord, verse 16, the God of Israel saith, that he hateth putting away. What does that mean? I'll tell you what that means. God hates divorce. God hates it when we divorce the wife of our youth and go out and just marry somebody else. God said, I, I, I was there. I was a witness when you married that woman of your youth, the wife of your youth, and you've just thrown that away. And you just went out and married somebody. God said, I... Now, now, wait a minute. Hear me. It's 808. I know I'm going a little long, but hear me. God did not say, I hate the divorced. God did not say, I hate people that are divorced. God said, not the people, but the process. I hate divorce. Let me tell you why I think God hates divorce. Because of what it does to people. I believe the Lord hates divorce because it's like God putting two into one and then those, that one trying to separate itself and become two. How many of y'all have ever done this before? How many of you have ever superglued your finger? I got a belt. This belt, as a matter of fact, right now that I have on is coming apart. So the other day, I got me some Gorilla Glue. Yes, sir. And I just took my belt and where it's coming apart, I raised it up. Man, I just soaked that stuff with that Gorilla Glue and then I... Then I I pressed it together. Then I set something on top of it and went back in there. When I thought it was dry, I picked it up. The belt was stuck to the bottom of the thing I'd set on it. But during the process of that, I, I stuck those two fingers together. They were glued. 
And I had the, the process of trying to pull those two fingers apart. And can I tell you something? I did get them apart, but I ripped hide and all. I caused a lot of pain because I had to unglue what I had glued together. But, buddy, let me tell you something. When you try to unglue what God glued together, you talk about pain. You talk about problems. Can I tell you this? He says on verse 16, I'm done, but he said this. Hey, why don't you just take heed to your spirit? In other words, God said, hey, watch yourself. It's a, it's a painful process. Take care of your attitude. Watch your actions in marriage. Listen, you ain't going to find no better one than you've got now. And let me just say this. If you're, about, if you're thinking about getting married, he's as good as he's going to get right now. Don't you marry him thinking, I'm going to change him and make him better. Because I'm telling you something, what you see now is as good as it's going to get. Because after marriage, it ain't going to do nothing but go downhill. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? Amen. It's going downhill. And, and sir, what you see right there now is as good as it's going to... Don't you marry her thinking you're going to change her? You ain't going to change her. No, sir. She's as good as she's going to get. Right, Enjoy her now. Buddy, because later on. But won't you take heed to your spirit? You say, Preacher, I tell you what, it's ice cold in my marriage. Well, buddy, light a fire. Amen. Take her a box of chocolates and get her some Chanel number five. Go home and tickle her under her chin a little bit. See if that don't start a fire back up again. You say, I tell you, Preacher, he's as cold as an igloo. Well, bless your heart. Put you some of that rouge on. <laughs> Skirt yourself down with that midnight pasture. You come around. Watch your attitude. Be careful. Hey, don't throw your marriage away. Don't throw it away. We live in a day of disposable everything. Disposable razors, disposable this, disposable that. Don't make your marriage disposable. When I was growing up, I was bad to do this. When I was growing up, you know, you tied your shoes like this. And you know, if you're in a hurry when you're a young man or whatever, you, you get your shoestrings in, in knots. You ever done that before? And I would, I would get my shoestrings. I ain't even got these tied. I'm old now. I'm lazy. I don't even tie them no more. But, but I'd get them in knots. And so instead of taking the time to, to get the knot out, I'd just go get me a pair of scissors. And I'd cut, I'd cut the shoestring where the knot was and drop down to the next hole. Well, it wasn't long till I was down to the final hole. I'd clipped away so much, I'm down there and the shoe wouldn't stay on the shoe. Daddy, my daddy would say, what, what you, what's wrong with your shoe? I said, Daddy, I need some shoestrings. He said, what happened to the ones you had? I said, well, they got knots. I just cut them away. I never will forget what my daddy said. He said, son, never cut what you can untie. You might want to write that one down in your Bible. <laughs> Never cut. Oh, I know it's going to take a little while to get the knot out. I know you're going to have to slow down and just take some time and work. And, 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 but if you'll get the knot out, you can keep your shoestrings and keep your shoes on your feet. But if you're like me and just keep cutting away pretty soon, you ain't going to have nothing left. I know when problems come in marriage, it takes some patience to get the knots out. 
I know it's, it's hard and, it's, and you've got to grit your teeth and it's a lot of just, just bearing it, man, and just working. And if you're like me, you bite your tongue and you're, and, you're, and you're getting those knots out. But boy, it'll be good when you get the knots out. And watch this. And you still got, still got your shoestrings. So you never cut. Say it with me. Never cut. What? I can't hear you. Never cut. I take it from here. Never cut what you can untie. Don't just throw it away. I'm going to tell you something. She may look better than the model you got now, but can I tell you something? You don't look like you used to look neither. You sure don't. You say, I tell you what, she ain't, she ain't the same woman that I married, and you ain't the same man she married. Right? I know you didn't like it when you come caught that old boy sitting up in the bed biting his toenails off with his teeth. I know that kind of turns you off a little bit, but he don't like it no more when you, you, you them, them teeth that look like the stars at night. He don't like that neither because every night you take them out just like the stars. They come out and sit right there in the cuff right there beside the bed. I get it, but don't throw it away. You'll be glad you did. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight.